having been a participant in a few of the trainings myself, you realize even as a parent, the things that you want to avoid doing to make sure that your child does not have or is not exposed to adverse childhood experiences because something that we may consider to be so small can have such a huge impact. So making sure that we're providing services to our youth, that's a big part. Recognizing that they are in those critical moments of making or breaking as far as adverse childhood experiences are concerned. And so that is why we wanna make sure that we are developing youth services here in the Baltimore City office and beyond. Welcome to What's the 211 podcast, where we provide you with information about resources and programs in your community. 211 Maryland is a health and human service line for anyone seeking help for themselves or someone else. You can dial 211 if you need help with food, rent, or other services. Text your zip code to 898-211 or visit our website at www.211md.org. If you or someone is in a mental health crisis or needs help with substance abuse, dial 211 and press 1 to immediately be connected with someone. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to What's the 211 podcast. My name is Quentin Askew, President and CEO of 211 Maryland. I am excited to have our guest today, Ms. Elena Bolden, Deputy Chief Program Officer, and Heather Sherbert, 211 Care Coordinator with Springboard Community Service. Good afternoon, ladies. How are you? Good afternoon. Great to be here. Good afternoon, Quentin. Good to see you. Yes, thanks for joining us. So definitely glad to have you. Can you tell us about your roles with Springboard? So as you mentioned, I am the Deputy Chief Program Officer here at Springboard. Our agency has a total of four locations, Baltimore City, Carroll County, Harford County, Howard County, and I oversee day-to-day operations of all of our programs. And I am 211 Care Coordinator with Springboard Community Services. So I oversee all of our um, new programming with 211 and our care coordination line and establishing uh, new relationships with the hospitals across Maryland. Great. So we, we know, you know, Springboard offers a variety of different services. So how, how do folks normally connect with Springboard when they're trying to get access to services? We're very heavily embedded in the communities that we serve. So we are networking with local government agencies. We're networking with state's attorney's offices, with other partnering agencies to attract referrals. We are largely funded by a grant for the victims of crime in the state of Maryland. So we use those funds for outreach and to make sure that we are connecting with victim service providers to be able to provide support to the clients that we serve. That's great. So I know you mentioned one of the programs. Let's talk a little bit about the services that you, you guys offer. Um, kind of focus on the programs to address abuse, since you mentioned, and supports for homeless and unstably housed youth and adults. So can you share just a little bit about what services are provided in those areas and some of the work that you all do? Sure. So our agency has three major programs. We've got counseling, we've got case management, and we also have a housing program. Under the guise of counseling is also our medication management program. So in totality, our program largely serves, like I mentioned, victims of crime here in the state of Maryland, based specifically in the central Maryland region. We provide intensive case management services through what's called the family violence program. So anyone who 
who has been either victimized by a crime or is a secondary victim, maybe it's a witness or a family member, we would provide them case management services. They would also be eligible for counseling services and medication management services as well. And then we also provide general counseling to anyone who is seeking out therapeutic behavioral health services, maybe through their insurance company or by word of mouth, just referring for individual counseling and for medication management. One of the things that we've been really excited about recently is the development of youth services here in our Baltimore City office. Earlier in the year, we had a grant opening for our Youth Resource Center, where we have drop-in services for youth that are aged 14 to 24. We provide workshops, assistance with vital records, case management services, and people can drop in just for food, for showers, for laundry. Sometimes it's just a safe place for them to be able to hang out so that they don't have to be out on the streets. We see a number of unstably housed and homeless youth that are coming through our program, and we are a navigation site for those youth. So we are entering them into the coordinated access system here in Baltimore City so that they can be matched with housing that is appropriate for them. Sometimes they end up circling back to our program because we also offer rapid rehousing services to youth where we are providing a subsidy of housing for 12 up to 24 months for our youth with a goal ultimately of creating self-sufficiency so that they can live independently. That's great, you know, especially in Baltimore City. But in most of the programs you offer, they are statewide though. Correct. Well, in the Central Maryland region. So Baltimore City and County, Anne Arundel County, Carroll County, Howard and Hartford counties. The heavy focus of that work is in Springboard, I know, is, is really around case management, mental health, and counseling, kind of that holistic point of view. And, and so what additional mental health services do you all provide? So everyone is eligible for psychiatric evaluation, ongoing individual counseling. We are going to be starting up some behavioral health groups very soon. So there is obviously a very, very, very strong demand for mental health services. And unfortunately, we don't always have as many providers. We would like to be able to meet that need. So what we've done in a couple of our offices is we're starting to pilot some behavioral health groups so that even if you aren't able to see a counselor individually, you can come to the group and be able to be served that way until an individual counselor is available. As I mentioned, we do also have medication management services. So we have a psychiatric evaluation in that program as well and ongoing medication management services with our medical director. Great. So with mental health services you guys are providing, how has that changed since the pandemic? You know, you know, we've seen a two-on-one calls have increased you know, dramatically around behavioral health and crisis. How have things changed for you all since the pandemic with mental health? I think it's just important to recognize the fact that the effects of the pandemic, even though the physical risk is not there as much anymore, that there are still many, many people struggling with grief and loss. And that could be loss of a family member who passed during the pandemic. And it could also be just the loss of stability that so many people felt as a result of the pandemic. People are still kind of trying to dig their way out of a hole that was created by the pandemic, be it through their finances or employment or their own physical health. So we are absolutely seeing a greater demand for services. It's just really, really challenging to be able to meet that need because as we are trying to manage the referrals that are coming our way, we're also finding that it's hard, you know, during the great resignation to locate 
qualified and compassionate candidates who want to be able to provide these services. So I think we're trying to kind of stabilize as much as we can and meet the need because we do, we serve the underserved. So we definitely want to make sure that we have the staff to be able to serve them. Okay. And, and why, why is case management you know, so important? That's an important part of the work. And, you know, regarding even, you know, with the case management, why has that been so important and helpful with some of the work that you guys are doing? So I think what we've learned over the course of providing the multiple services that we provide across Central Maryland, what we understand is, you know, we're seeing individuals that are coming in that are really struggling. Um, and if we're able to touch not only them, but, you know, touch some other space in their life where they need additional support. And so they seek mental health services, but they may have challenges um, keeping stable housing or keeping employment because their mental health is, is so poor. Also understanding who their support systems are. So as these individuals move towards stability, really touching family members and their support systems around them to bring them in to really understand how we can look at either the whole family or a supportive environment to move them to stability and, and safety. That's great. So really, it's not just taking care of the one who needs the help, but the, those who are helping the, the one who needs the help as well. You know, Springboard offers a variety of services, but also training. And so I know you, you guys offer ACES training for the public. Can you tell the audience what that is and, and why you guys do that? Sure. So the ACES work that we do kind of started with a grant that we received from Harford County government. It's called the Reducing ACES Grant. And that kind of pushed us, propelled us to educate the community. The whole premise of ACES, which is Adverse Childhood Experiences, is to create self-healing communities. And so we were kind of spearheading that work out in Hartford County with a steering committee with individuals from various agencies to be able to help to build that self-healing community. ACEs basically say, or again, adverse childhood experiences, basically say that the things that happen to you when you are young can have significant long-term impacts on your health and your well-being as we grow older. And it could be things that we don't even take into consideration. ACEs, of course, would be heavily traumatic experiences like abuse or neglect, but it could also be parents getting divorced. It could be witnessing violence in the home. There is a, a questionnaire that has 10 questions, and basically the ACEs data says that if you have just two or more of those questions in the affirmative, your health outcomes could change. If you have four or more, you could be more susceptible to things like diabetes, to things like cancer. Six or more, I believe, says that you are, are, I mean, a significant number of times more likely to become an intravenous drug user. So we recognize that in order to try and do our part in stopping ACEs is to educate the communities. So that work started out in Hartford County, but now we have five trainers within the agency who are able to provide the ACE interface training. The training can be up to, I think, eight hours long, but it's a very, very in-depth training about the experiences, but also about the impact to the brain. So these are, this is how stress chemically and biologically affects the brain and changes the brain. It talks about how generational trauma can occur. It's a really, really impactful training. And so we are looking forward to bringing that to our other jurisdictions beyond Harford County now that we have more individuals trained. 
Okay. And, and, you know, once people go through that training, do you see a, a sort of a difference in how now they are interacting with others, taking into consideration of how, what they've learned? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because a large part of ACES is also focused on resilience, building resilience. And so I think, you know, just having been a participant in a few of the trainings myself, you realize even as a parent, the things that you want to avoid doing to make sure that your child does not have or is not exposed to adverse childhood experiences because something that we may consider to be so small can have such a huge impact. So making sure that we're providing services to our youth, that's a big part, recognizing that they are in those critical moments of making or breaking as far as adverse childhood experiences are concerned. And so that is why we want to make sure that we are developing youth services here in the Baltimore City office and beyond. That's good. And, and so, you know, we are excited to talk about our, our new partnership with you guys around the 201 Care Coordination Program. And so which one of the things we've been able to partner with Maryland Department of Health, Behavioral Health Administration to provide support to our uh, emergency room partners for those who are stuck in the emergency room needing outpatient behavioral health services. And so, you know, can you talk a little bit about, you know, you guys' two-on-one care coordination role and Heather, you know, the role that you all are playing with the program? Sure. So as a 2-1-1 care coordinator, really my role is to daily, I am looking at referrals that we're receiving from hospitals um, that are being trained about our services, how to utilize our services and how to get to us. And as I'm um, getting referrals from um, discharge planners and social workers from hospitals, I'm then reviewing, I'm assessing and really understanding what the patient needs and what will be helpful to not only the patient, but to the hospital to get them discharged safely back into the community. So we're really assessing what they have entered the hospital emergency department for, looking at some of the information that they've shared while they're staying at the hospital, and then looking at what kind of resources we can provide, community-based resources to get them safely back to either therapy, case management, you know, combination of both, some wraparound services, working with youth and, and their parents to really get kids safely back home um, if they've been displaced. Um, and so all of those are the work of what our day looks like as we're receiving referrals. Okay. And so, you know, one of the things that you all do very well is, you know, is that partnership and, and, and coordination. And so I know a lot of this work is in partnership with our hospitals across the state, and, you know, especially our state and local partners and working with, you know, state coordinators as well. And so how is that process work being able to, to coordinate and, and partner and manage, you know, as you're providing supports to others? Sure. So on a, on a regular basis, we're working with hospitals that we're receiving referrals from and we're providing um, case consultation. So that happens generally with, you know, a team of folks that come together with the care coordination team. And we're looking to talk about patients that are currently having and experiencing an overstay. But also we're talking about potential referrals, right? So I have folks in the emergency department or I've had um, a 16-year-old come in that has some community-based needs and, and mom is not willing to come pick them up. And I, I don't know how we're going to safely discharge this individual. And so we're talking about if these referrals make sense, is this something that 211 care coordinator can help us with? Um, and then we're really circling back in those care coordination meetings to talk about we haven't had a lot of luck and we need to escalate these cases. We haven't been able to find placement either fast enough or placement that's appropriate. 
We often see individuals that might have needs that are medical, both medical and a mental health need. And so we rely on our state coordinators to support us as we escalate cases to them. And then we work in accordance with them to get folks, again, um, safely placed in the community based on the needs that they, they have. Great. And so when, when someone actually dials, we know one of the ways that the discharge planners will connect with you in trying to refer a patient is through our 201 Press 4 dialing code. So what, what's that experience like when someone calls and, and hear you on the other end? What, what generally happens? So when we receive a call on the care coordination line, oftentimes, you know, that's a discharge planner or a social worker that's working with a patient that's in the hospital. It comes with questions and what kind of solutions can you give me? Sometimes there's often, you know, we've tried everything. We've been trying to place this patient for, you know, over a month or more. Sometimes we see individuals that have been in the hospital for months. And so really the discharge planners are looking to us to provide them additional support. You know, again, we're talking about, different scenarios, different supportive services that are already in place. Are they working with government entities? Is CPS involved? Is APS involved? Has, you know, the police department, do they have any pending charges? What their current medical needs are? How complex the case might be? You know, what kind of support systems do they have? Is there an individual or family member that can support them in discharging them safely until we can get them to some community-based services? So we're really having lots of that good conversation to really benefit our work on the care coordination side. And then we start moving that process forward as quickly as we can, moving towards resources, making phone calls, connecting with community-based partners, you know, really trying to advocate for these patients that are in an overstay space alongside of working with the hospital staff who have already really been trying everything they know how to do to safely get them back into the community. Okay. And so, and, and, you know, based on your experience, how, what impact do you think this is have or will have on the emergency room departments on just the communication back and forth with the discharge planners and hospital workers? Like, what do you see as kind of an impact with this work? Well, I see this as an opportunity, right? I see this as an opportunity for us to reach those individuals when they're really at their lowest times. They're entering into the emergency departments really out of some of them of desperation. They don't know where to go. They don't have any support systems. They're really desperate for help. And so it gives us the opportunity as a service provider, a longtime service provider in the community to really start to not only use the skills that I have from my experiences and the services that we provide at Springboard, but also those connections that we have in the community to really help get individuals placed with a good supportive support system. Again, that you know can be mental health. It can be in a combination with some wraparound services with case management, really looking at what all options are to get them you know, back to good health, whether that be mental health, whether that be their physical health or both. And then oftentimes working with, again, family members that are really desperate, parents that are really struggling, their children have had multiple stays at the hospital out of desperation. They don't know where else to turn. And so they're also in need of support systems to help them understand better how to advocate for their children and themselves and really how they can bring these kids home and, and safely get them what they need. 
Right. And so, you know, that's a real heavy work. And so especially with the, the counseling that you all are doing, case management and supporting others. So how, how do both of you kind of take care of yourselves and the other staff? Like, how do you what's done in the office? A lot of laughing. <laughs> I think that a great deal of my leadership is in finding the humor because we're working with such heavy, heavy work, so much trauma. And so being able to, to take a moment and laugh just to, to break away from that constant vicarious trauma, that constant exposure to horrible, horrible things is just really, really important unplugging for a moment, even if it's five minutes, even if it's 10 minutes, but just, I, I commend the people who I see eating in the lunchroom instead of in their offices, because <laughs> even that is huge because the work can be so great sometimes, but, mm -hmm. you know, just finding some time to, to laugh and to team build is really, really important. Yes. And so one of the things I also noticed on the, on the website is that you, know, you guys are having a adoptive family 2022 coming up. What's that about? Like, how can others help support that? Yeah, so we're excited about the adoptive family program. We've been doing it for years now. And really, like I mentioned, since we're serving the underserved, we want a way to be able to give back and to help them to have a happy holiday season despite limited resources. So right now we're actually in the phase of recruiting donors. So if anyone would like to be a donor to one of our families or to just donate a monetary contribution, we would love that. You would go to our website, www.springboardmd.org. You click on the donate tab and you'll find a link to the adoptive family page you can sign up to be a donor right there perfect and so we, we, i know springboard is a nonprofit, as you just mentioned um how can you know i know you mentioned the website you can share that for us one more time but how can folks who are interested in supporting the work and you know volunteering or some of the needs of the organization i know they can go to the website are there other social media handles that people could utilize and check out Yes, so we are on Facebook, Springboard Community Services. We're on LinkedIn as Springboard Community Services, and we're also on Instagram at Springboard Community Services. We've got a very dedicated marketing team that works diligently to post continuously. So please definitely check out our Facebook and our Instagram pages. Check out our LinkedIn page if you're looking for employment because we're always recruiting compassionate, qualified candidates who want to really do meaningful work. That's what we're mm -hmm. doing here, rewarding meaningful work. Yeah, and is that for case management and, and counseling therapy as well for those positions? Absolutely, case management and counseling. We are always recruiting licensed clinicians, be they provisional licenses or independent licensure. You can go on our website to find out the open job postings and also on Indeed. Okay, perfect. So in closing, is there anything else that you all would like to share or make sure that we know, Elena? Let me put in one final plug for employment <laughs> at Springboard where you can come. <laughs> And be in an environment where people really want to help. If you want to find a place where you can use your passion and your dedication to serve others, this is a great place to work. A supportive team of like-minded individuals who really just want to do this work. So we definitely thank you. Definitely a great place to work, great people. And, and as you said, doing meaningful work. And so Heather and Elena, I appreciate you joining us. Today it was a pleasure and looking forward to the continued partnership and, and meaningful work and conversations. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for listening and subscribing to What's the 211 podcast. We are here for you 24 7, 365 days a year, simply by calling 211. 
also connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at 211Maryland or at dragondigitalradio.podbean.com. Connect with us. We are Dragon Digital Radio.